This is He Said, Then She Said, a series of conversations with Jewish and Gentile couples from around the world. I'm Tuvia Zaretsky, and as your host, I've been researching for over 20 years some of the intercultural challenges that are described by these intercultural couples. We want to get an authentic look into how they navigate those unique and complex challenges, and then hear from them how they found spiritual harmony in their relationship. If you or someone you know would like support for those similar interfaith relationship issues, you can contact us by email at info at jewishgentilecouples.com. On today's program, we want to hear the story of Susan and Christian Wilder. They're from the two coasts of the United States. He's a university professor and specialist in Hebrew Bible. She is from a religiously observant Jewish family, and I'm so glad they're available to share their story with us today. Here are Susan and Christian Wilder as we began with some pre-roll laughter. Hi, today I'm with (laughs) Christian and Susan Wilder, and uh, they're out in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm really looking forward to hearing their story uh, of how they've found both spiritual harmony and, and cross-cultural understanding. Christian, you're working at uh, a university there in, in Phoenix, correct? Yes, I, I teach at Grand Canyon University, and I'm teaching online, which means I get to stay home uh, 13 out of every 14 days with my wife, who also works from home. So you guys get you're in the in the working in our pajamas generation. That's great. <laughs> hey, tell us a little bit about where did you you grew up in the Pacific Northwest? Is that right? I did. I grew up in Spokane, Washington. But what's interesting about me is my father is from Virginia and my mother is from about a thousand miles north of the Canadian border in British Columbia. So there's this interesting mix of rugged independence and Southern culture. In my adult life, I've had to discern between my spirituality and those two elements of of what I grew up with um, and looking at how my spirituality has been affected by those things. Were you raised in any particular religious tradition? I was. I, I, I grew up in a Southern Baptist home. If I understand correctly, you've got um, got your doctorate now. Yeah, I have a, a uh, doctor in ministry in uh, evangelism, church growth, and a PhD in the Hebrew Bible, uh, specifically in the Second Temple period. So, was there a period in, in your life where you made a discernment between your religious tradition and your relationship with God? Yes, it it, it, it came. About my senior year of high school, I accepted Christ when I was uh, in, in about fourth grade. It was real. It was true. But, you know, as a teenager, you just you go to church. You know what your parents teach. Or in my case, my mother, my father passed away when I was very young. Um, 
But when I was a senior in high school, I went through some struggles, went, went through some, some other issues. And as I came out on the other side, I came out realizing that this has to be my faith. And it has to be something that um, not only do I have ownership of as far as it being my faith, but um, I have responsibility to understand. Hmm. And that started me on the journey that I've been on. Susan, what was what was your background like? I know you're you're from the East Coast. I'm from Jersey. Yeah. (laughs) I grew up in Clifton, New Jersey, about 20 minutes outside of Manhattan. And in my town, you were either Jewish or Catholic. So I had a lot of Jewish and uh, Italian friends. But my dad was a kosher butcher and he was president of the synagogue for many years. My grandparents were Orthodox, so had some influence there as well. Went to Jewish sleepaway camp for many, many years. Give the parents a break during the summer. Mm -hmm. And went to Hebrew school as well. So we were very involved in Jewish culture, tradition, celebrated the holidays. One of the beauties of it, though, is with dad being a kosher butcher, he would have to close the shop early on Fridays. So every Friday evening, we had Shabbat dinner together growing up, which was really beautiful. Was there a point in your life where you grew up in this rich, beautiful tradition, religious tradition, and yet something happened spiritually in your life that that took you on a different path? My dad and I would always watch movies together all the time. Anything from the old, you know, war type of movies. But we'd also watch the old Frankenstein, you know, all that genre of of movie. And I think the big thing for me was when The Exorcist came out, my dad didn't want me to see it, but I hocked him enough until he agreed. And it freaked me out. And there was something inside of me that knew this was true. And I'm thinking, well, if there's power in this cross, I don't have that. You're looking at the the evil portrayed yes. of the exorcist and the exorcism that took place in that in the name of Jesus. And and it really set me on a very dark path, actually, because I thought, well, if as a Jew I have no protection because I don't have this cross, um, I have to learn about these things so I can fight it. And so I got very involved. It was, you know, the early 70s, so big drug culture. New Age, witchcraft, did it all. Then rehab happened, and Jesus saved me. It was a very long path to Yeshua, but I knew that I knew there was no question. I didn't understand any of it at the time, but I just knew that I knew that this was true. Was that um, alongside of the, the rehab, or was it in a rehab center? It was a little bit before the rehab because I was seeking and I was searching and God was reaching back out to me. I think once I was in rehab, it was such an eye-opening experience because the steps really do try to focus on you from a spiritual standpoint and also force you to face all of the garbage that is in your life. And you combine those two together and you're broken. So if you're broken, you only have a choice to either 
get it together or continue to spiral downward. For me, my higher power was Jesus. I'm convinced that it's very hard for people to understand or know the goodness of of God until we recognize that there's a brokenness to us. And it doesn't have to be the avenues that, that you, you explored. Just it is having been created in the image of God, all of us who have a great deal of moral conscience still have that, bear that brokenness. And it's a, it is the notion that we're self-reliant, we're self-centered, we're self-sufficient, and we forget that God's first commandment was to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It can be dramatic like you've, you've experienced it, but it's uh, it's always starts with that notion, I'm not the person that I really want to be, and I can't in my own strength. So um, where did you two meet? Susan, I remember you saying you were working for the IT department of a seminary up in Northern California. In Mill Valley, we I was working for Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary, which is now Gateway Seminary in Southern Cal. So um, you were working IT. How'd you spot this guy? Well, we kept passing each other in the hall and saying hello. And the shy wallflower that I am, right. I one day right. was like, hi, what is your name? <laughs> but um, yeah, I just introduced myself and then Christian took it from there. So Christian, did you, growing up in Pacific Northwest, did you did you know many Jewish people? Um, no, I met one or two people who were Jewish. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's about it. Do you remember any of your first impressions? Um, no, because I was older. I was already out of college. And so I was working with this person and we ended up having dinner. And I was just fascinated because at that point, you know, I'd already, I went to a Bible college and I was already deep in my faith. And so I was just fascinated by Jewish culture and possible connections to um, what, of course, Christians called the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. And so we were just talking culture and that kind of stuff. Did you have expectations about what somebody Jewish would be like that that came up measuring differently than when you met Susan? Actually, not really, only because, I don't know, it wasn't something that I really had many expectations about. I would say, I think what threw me more was uh, her being from New Jersey. <laughs> what was strange about that? Oh, the Jersey girl. Susan, do you have any any recollection about meeting and talking with with uh, Christian at that point and seeing, wow, this is we're we're in really different different cultural spaces? Yes, it actually is what drew me to him. He was so focused and had everything so planned out, so calm. And I'm not saying that we're not that way in our culture, but it was just a very different experience because I never really dated a Christian guy before. You know, I always dated Jewish guys. So I was just so drawn in by the difference in um, personality. I just think from the beginning, Christian and I hit it off immediately and we're never at a loss of words. We could just sit there and talk. Some people on campus knew that I played piano, so I helped on the worship team. And then everyone went out, you know, down to Sausalito to grab some some dinner. And Christian and I just started talking because we already knew each other at that point, but weren't dating yet. And when our table was ready, 
I remember um, one of his friends was like, hey, we're ready. And I was like, oh, no, we're fine. Wolf, we're fine. And they're like, what is going on here? You know, and we just talked and talked. And I was just so intrigued by just his dedication to the gospel and his studies and just how he was planning his future. It, it was a conversation I never really had with anyone before. I've tried to explain to folks that, that cultural differences show up in different ways during four different phases of a relationship. It starts, <laughs> it starts when they're dating and getting to know one another and they realize, well, this person's they're saying things that I have no idea what that means or that we're using the same <laughs> words and we mean different things by them. Then comes a, a wedding and wedding planning and the the level of challenges really escalates. The third phase is when the couple is together and they have a, a, a unified identity, but then they wonder how do we explain who we are, what we are to ourselves and to one another and the people around us. And in the last phase where the challenges can really become difficult or when the children enter the family and there hasn't been a unified agreement about how they were gonna be raised spiritually. So I understand that you guys had some some very interesting discoveries around uh, planning your wedding. I think part part of what entered into our planning, the planning of our wedding and that kind of stuff was um, just the way we grew up, our tastes, uh, that, that kind of thing. I remember going and registering for the wedding gifts. And, you know, Susan wanted to go to, uh, what was it, Macy's and places like that. And again, I grew up with a mother who was a who grew up on a farm. So I'm thinking, oh yeah, we can go to Target, you know, we can go here and there. And it that was actually a real culture shock. You know, that's not that that's not necessarily Jewish Gentile. It's just two different people who grew up in different cultures with different expectations. So that that was that was a big one there. But we we sat at a table uh, in Mel's diner and talked it out. Did you think of, picture your wedding day, what it'd be like to get married um, earlier in your life? Oh, definitely. I think every little girl has this vision and this image of what they would want. It was completely different than what I planned, but it was exactly what we needed. So I understood one of the discoveries you had was, was about family boundaries as you were planning your wedding? Yes, there were a, a couple of things that popped up because one thing which is important to understand is that once Christian and I started dating, we got engaged three months later and then got married three months later. So all this happened within a six-month time span. So I was fascinated that he didn't talk to his mother every day or once a week or, you know, where with me, if I didn't call my mom, she'd think you're dead in a ditch somewhere. Mm -hmm. Now, I was very close with my parents. So calling every day, it was just something which was so common. But when we started planning for the wedding, a lot of issues would come up and Christian would see how upset I would get. And he would try to tell me, you know, this is this is your wedding and there's something called boundaries. And I'm like, you mean I'm allowed to say no? Like, I had no idea that this was acceptable. Because again, a Jewish family, even though I was working at 
the seminary, Dr. Cruz is like, you could use the whole place for free. I'm like, I can't. We have this big cross in the chapel. <laughs> so we had to find a place that didn't have any quote unquote Christian icons or anything to to that effect. We, that was for your family's sake. Huh? That was for my family's sake. We, the night before our rehearsal dinner, my aunt had to, my aunt's in <laughs> OA and she's neurotic about food. We had to literally change the place where we held it so she could get salmon. And of course, that's going to be frustrating for my husband. He's like, what is going on? What am I, what am I marrying into? <laughs> So all these kind of things that are just normal to me were completely foreign, you know, to Christian. Yes. And the reason you see me hesitating is because there were some spiritual or religious elements to that as well. I know at, at one point we were talking about who was going to do the prayer. I think it was at our um, at our reception. It was the traditional prayer and everything else. And, and Susan wanted her father to do it. And within the Christian tradition, we believe that all prayers in the name of Jesus. And if her father didn't believe in Jesus, then I really struggled with how do we have her father do that? And so we, again, we, we kind of wrestled back and forth. And I knew that this was sacred ground to Susan because it's her dad, you know, and traditionally the dad does this. But again, we sat down, we, we talked about it. We actually found a Jewish believer that Susan really loved, respected, and had him do it. So again, just a totally different culture in that sense. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's the whole thing with my family, because realized by this point, I became a believer when I was 20. And by the time we got married, I was 38. So my parents had a whole history of seeing God's hand on my life. And everyone in my family would be like, you have some relationship with God we don't understand. They knew that we were trying to be respectful of them in the choices we made. Like again, where we got married, there's a chapel at a San Francisco Theological Seminary. It's called the Montgomery Memorial Chapel. And there's no Christian symbols there, but there's all this gorgeous stained glass that is Old Testament related. And a rabbi actually used the chapel for his Friday night services. So when we heard that, we thought we could totally get married there because I can then tell my family, hey, there's a rabbi. And when we were doing our rehearsal, when we were ending our rehearsal and leaving, the rabbi was coming in. So we actually got to meet him. So I was like, okay, we did well with uh, keeping everyone happy. So you that's, know, really, for that. that's really an important point to, to, to recognize with sensitivity mm -hmm. the challenges that your folks and family would feel around that event. Mm -hmm. But uh, living it and presenting it in the integrity of your own, your own faith, there's attempt to avoid offense, though there are things that are going to be different and they, people have to struggle with those things. Yeah, exactly. And what we did, we actually had Dr. Arbino, who's an Old Testament professor at Golden Gate, he married us. So we wrote our own service and incorporated what was important to us as believers in, in Jesus, as well as a lot of the Jewish tradition. I even taught him how to sing the Aaronic Benediction so he can incorporate that. And when we said our vows, we actually had 
my father's tallit wrapped around us. I think that's how we honored him, Christian. We used the palace. Yeah. Mm. And it was beautiful. I mean, the family, because yeah. there there was familiarity, you know, for them in there. And Christian at the end, of course, crushed the glass. And everybody shouted. Jewish people said Mazel Tov. The other ones were like, Amen. They didn't know. <laughs> Actually, half my family was looking around saying, what's going on? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> half my family have no faith whatsoever. So what did your family say when you first explained you were dating a, a girl who's a Messianic Jew? My mother said, why can't you date a Christian? And I said, I said, Mom, um, I am. She's a believer in Jesus. Oh, okay. Okay. So, but, you know, I just, and that's one of those things where, you know, sometimes we use the same terms to mean different things. Other times we use different terms to mean the same thing. And that's one of those situations that I had to explain. Susan, you described being raised in a very traditional religious faith. You come to a, a belief that you share with your husband, who's a pastor. How has that, how's it worked out for the two of you as, as you've grown together? I think that was a very important thing is that my husband always stresses that everybody, regardless of belief, is created in the image of God and deserves to be respected. But that's also true for us as believers. And I think we all know, we've all said, oh, just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I'm a carpet, you know, for people to step all over. But when you have family dynamics that we discussed earlier, you know, being able to understand how to express the no in a loving way actually was something I had to learn because my family were loud, were boisterous. You could have an argument and then two seconds later, okay, let's go to the house of lamb for Chinese food. And it's fine. It's like there is no argument. It's like there's no hard feelings. It's over. You know, where most people, that's not normal. Like pe people take time when there's an argument. But I think the most important thing for me, of course, is theologically, again, growing up Jewish, not really reading the Bible that much, even though when I was a child, I did read the Psalms. For some reason, I loved the Psalms. And my mom, when I was going through pictures and, and everything a few months back, there's a picture of me actually praying over a birthday cake when I was like eight. Like, you know, my hands are pressed together. It's kind of funny how you look back now and see, I really did believe in God and had a relationship, but now this is so much more fulfilling. But understanding as a Jew, no matter how many times I read the Tanakh, or the New Testament, is really the Old Testament covenants, really understanding why we were God's chosen people, and understanding the theological impact of each of the different covenants. Because I don't think your average believer really understands anything from a Abrahamic to a Mosaic to a Davidic to this to that, what all these different covenants really encompass. It was just fascinating to be able to sit down and ask him questions and to be able to study. And it really enriched my belief as a Jew to really see how God wanted us to really understand Messiah. Like it wasn't supposed to be some, some big secret. And just like how all of the holidays really point to Messiah. Christian, what was it like? What's it like being an in-house theologian? <laughs> well, the, there's of course good things and bad things. Uh, the good stuff 
you know, it's it makes for great conversation over dinner at times. Although at other times when I'm doing work and I hear a, a knock on my doors, my wife outside because she wants to bounce something off me. And I, that gets a little frustrating sometimes um, <laughs> only because I have ADHD. So once I get focused on something, I want to stay focused. The other thing about being the quote unquote in-house theologian is that I found I had to be very careful how I said things because or there are traditions and then there is scholarship. Then there is, you know, faith that kind of flows in through both of those. And so I realized that I could say something and it were, it could come across very offensive because it violated tradition because it was scholarship. Because, you know, scholarship and tradition isn't always connected. And so that, that made me really kind of sit back and say, okay, how much can I share at a time? Or how do I share what I want to share? but try to find a way that it's not purposefully offensive. The other thing that gets frustrating for Susan is going to church or sitting at home and listening to church and listening to preachers preach on the Hebrew Bible and being like, and I'll be sitting there and I'll be like, no, that's <laughs> not what the Hebrew means. That's not what that pastor is really saying. So and she puts up with that very well. And I think for me, and where I struggle truthfully at some point was going to all the different Messianic congregations. <clears throat> You'd have some that were, you know, trying to be Torah observant. And then there's others that are doing this. So even with it, our own believing community, there's people that aren't agreeing. And then I, a few years back, I was leading worship at a Messianic congregation. And uh, so I went to the Messianic Roundtable meeting and I'm like, what is going on here? Like the Torah observant, the not, the this. And I really came back and I was very torn. I was like, what is going on with these people thinking we still need to be kosher and keeping under the law? And so I, I really struggle with that. And I wanted biblical answers and scripture to back up, you know, um, different reasoning and, and coming across all the books with uh, Dr. Michael Brown and some of his stuff, and then reading that and then talking to Christian, it just really, you know, took my anxiety down a little bit and gave me more understanding. You know, we have a responsibility to go back to the scripture and, and make sure that our teachers are teaching us correctly. Yeah. This has been great. Well, it's, it's got to be a blessing to have an in-house theologian where you can work these mm -hmm. things through and it's a and of course discipleship and growth is is a long-term process mm -hmm. and you two get to do that on a daily basis in your married life and that's really wonderful thanks for sharing all these things each story is a little different and uh, each couple has a, a whole different set of challenges of their own it's it's but it's always good to know that when you have spiritual harmony there's something very special at work that that helps you build you have a foundation to build on together. Thanks for being with us and, and for blessing us this way. Susan, the self-proclaimed Jersey girl, grew up in the rigors of, and beauty of observant Judaism. As she told her story, you hear how her spiritual harmony with her in-house theologian husband 
is rooted in their mutual appreciation for the God of the Hebrew Bible and his Messiah revealed in the New Testament. If you or someone you know would like support for finding that spiritual unity that they described, you can connect with us by email at info at jewishgentilecouples.com. When you do, let us know if you'd like the free digital booklet, Finding Spiritual Harmony in Your Jewish-Gentile Relationship. And for now, I'll simply say Shalom of Rachaz, Shalom and Blessings. <laughs>